Andrew Hawkins, you've done a lot, my brother. You're obviously covering the NFL for us at ESPN. You played six seasons in the league with the Browns and the Bengals, and now you're here. It happens to be my first episode of ESPN Daily, kiddos. So thank you for joining us, sir. Let's go. I love it. Let's get it. Good to see you, brother. I appreciate it, man. You too. All right, listen, it was a crazy NFL Sunday. It started with the news that Atlanta's own Usher would be hosting the Super Bowl halftime show. (laughs) Then we saw the Chargers saved from charging by a Vikings clock bungle that was awful. Justin Tucker, of all people, missed a game-winning field goal. Jordan Love brought his Packers back from the brink. But what to you was more impressive? The Dolphins putting a 70-burger on Denver or Travis Kelsey convincing Taylor Swift that hanging out with his mom was a good idea at a game against the Bears? Definitely the Dolphins. I don't, okay. I don't feel good about Taylor Swift and the Chiefs right now. I don't, I don't <laughs> think this is a good move. It feels very Hollywood. It feels uh, counterproductive. I mean, they just started dating. At least the news we got was like two weeks ago. And it's all, I don't know. It's just all moving too fast. It's way too public, way too quick. So I got to go with the Dolphins. 70 Burger. We've obviously not seen that in a long time. I mean, have you ever seen that at any level of football? My senior year in college, we played, and this is Mac football. Now, typically, if you're a Mac school, there's a couple of games during the year you, you end up on the wrong side of a 70 Burger. And it's usually when you play the big schools, and that's fine. We gotta we gotta fund the athletic department how we how we do it. But we did put up seventy against Northern Illinois, and yeah, that's crazy. I mean, to think that that happened in an NFL game in 2023 is 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 wild. Bishop Sycamore put up fifty. They had fifty eight put on them by IMG, and that was crazy to us. This is nuts, Yates. Week three of the NFL. Great to stop. Week three in the NFL was all about the numbers. The Miami Dolphins gained more than 700 yards of offense and put up a whopping 70 points. Whopper, 70 burger. Taylor Swift showed up to support Kansas City's fearless number 87. You know, we had to get at least one Taylor reference in this open. I didn't write it. Alex did. Blame him. And the Chargers scratched their healthy $82.5 million man, J.C. Jackson. And after lighting up the league the last two weeks, the Cowboys were handed their first loss of the season by the Arizona Football Cardinals. How about that? So today... ESPN's Andrew Hawkins helps us get our heads on straight after a mind-boggling day of football in the NFL. And he shares his thoughts on tonight's pair of Monday night matchups. I'm Clinton Yates, kiddos. It's Monday, September 25th. This is ESPN Daily. All right, Hawk, we have to start in Miami with the Finns. They beat the Broncos 70 to 20. I will save my thoughts on Sean Payton for later in terms of his preparation, but 70 points in an NFL football game. That cannot happen. That that was a clinic. Back to throw Tua. Flips it out to Moser. Moser, 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown. His fourth of the day. That was a clinic for a lot of reasons. My favorite part of the story, and I tweeted about this, was that Mike McDaniel was the Broncos' ball boy. He got his coaching start with the Broncos. And when there was a vacancy in 2022, they didn't interview him. And obviously, he ends up with the Dolphins, and he puts up 70, which is 
I mean, obviously it's it's a Hollywood Disney kind of get back pettiness going on there. But just from a football perspective, typically if you have coaches, because it, it, you haven't seen it in the modern era, but when a coach gets 70 put on them, in, in, in other situations, this would be grounds for somebody being fired. It could have been 73. He opted not to kick a field goal, but you're being a little bit too modest here, Hawk. Let me read this tweet exactly. You've said, hearing <laughs> multiple teams have inquired about 49ers run game coordinator Mike McDaniel for OC. I played one season under Mike, and if they want an offensive guru quotes, I bet every dollar in my account that no other candidate understands offensive football the way he does every dollar. Explain that to me, sir, from a player standpoint. So I've been around football for a very long time. To give you some context. My older brother played in the NFL for nine years. Uh, my father was an undrafted free agent signed to the Steelers. Um, cousin Carlton Hassery was a Pro Bowl guard in the league. I mean, generations and generations around the game. I know coaches. I've been recruited and coached by people who have coached other generations in my family. When I met Mike McDaniel, I think I was 28. It was like my fourth year in the league after playing three seasons in CFL and then three in the NFL. And I'm a student of the game. So I've, I've been around this my whole life. I've heard everything you can hear about football. I know all the cliches. I know all the stories. I know all the um, the foundations of, of receiver play specifically. And when I met Mike McDaniel, he flipped everything that I thought I knew over on its head. Because oh. Mike McDaniel is a savant in football. He's a savant in general, brilliant person. And he prides himself on breaking the rules of the norms that we've been taught. And he does that in football. And he made me change everything that I learned about wide receiver at 28 years old to in the twilight of my career. And it resulted in me having my best statistical season because everything he said was right. And he approaches the game that way. And it was such a refreshing year, but also prior to that moment and even afterwards, I have never been around coaches or a coach who've approached the game in the same way. That's why I was so confident way back then saying what I said, because he is a true innovator in every sense of the word. Word. He would be probably a scientist if he wasn't in love with the game of football. His offense is pretty scientific, that's for sure. Okay, listen, Miami gained more than 700 yards against Denver. They're the first team in NFL history, obviously, to put up seven, 70 points and 700 yards. You talked about his mind as an offensive football guy. What exactly are they doing from a scheme standpoint McDaniel, Tua, and the Dolphins' weapons. When Mike was my receiver coach, we were going to games. This is like in the middle of the season. Um, and he would break down film. And I like, guess we look at the X's and O's. We look at the alignment. We look at the uh, coverages that they would typically run in certain situations. Mike would break it down even more than that. He's like, yo, when this, whenever he rubs his towel on the right side of his pants... Nine times out of 10, it's going to be, he's going to play bump and run like this because huh. this is the defense that they're in. And he would get so meticulous. So you, if you ask me why has Mike McDaniel been so successful so quickly, it's because this is what's always made him special. He is a film guy and everybody says they're a film guy, but the things that stick out to him in film aren't glaring to anybody else. You know, and so it's not so much of his offense that he's running. Yes, his offense is special, but the reason his offense is special is because it is predicated off of what he's going to see from you. He knows what you're going to do versus 
I'm approaching this like, oh, this is my offense. This is what I run, which is the mistake that 99% of the coaches in the NFL make. It's why their offenses get stale. It's why people like Sean Payton in one era can be great. And in a new era, it looks like they're a fish out of water because the game changes it. There's an evolution that comes with it that Mike is really good at. So Mike is reactive as opposed to pumping down his philosophy into people's throats, right? So he's been sure to revamp and make sure that you can't diagnose this based off of what you thought you knew coming into the season. One of the things that they did quite a bit in week one was the use of pre-snap motion. It was talked about a lot. Mm. And against Denver, they used it 49 times for 553 yards and seven touchdowns. What does that level of activity pre-snap do for an offense like the Dolphins? A, it allows them to play fast. B, it confuses the defense. Right. When you use motions and that and that's typical, right? Like using motions isn't new, obviously, to professional football. But the reasons you typically use motions are to diagnose what a defense is doing. The other reason is um, it, it, it confuses the defense. You might want to get into a look that the defense is prepared for and you want to find a different way in. So you line up in one formation, you motion somebody into a formation and hope that the defense doesn't quickly diagnose, oh, that they're back in that formation. We know on film that they love the run on third down at midfield. What Mike is using it for, which is why it's so innovative, is number one, obviously his receivers are, are very fast. But more than that, they play extremely fast, right? Like there's a lot of fast people in the league. This team is playing faster football than everybody they've gone against. But, you know, I played two years in Canada and we would use a downhill waggle motion. Yep. So what that is, is you line up seven yards behind the line of scrimmage and I run full speed and time up the snap to where I hit the line of scrimmage. I am already at a full dead sprint in what I'm doing. If you watch what Mike has done with the Miami offense and Tyreek Hill and Waddle and everybody, Barrios even chosen as he got in the today, that's how they're using it. They're using it to out leverage the defense and get a little head start, full speed running. And when Tyreek Hill, if he's starting a play at full throttle, There's no way you can guard them. And so that's why this beginning part of the season, teams are trying to figure out how the heck do we stop what we're seeing? Because essentially he's playing CFL football in the National Football League. That's an interesting comparison because you're right. The way that everything looks right at the snap, it's like they're just catching everybody on the back foot to begin with. And in the first quarter of that game, 54-yard touchdown catch where, I mean, it appeared that Tyreek was wide open. Like, nobody was even remotely around him. He catches that ball on the go and outruns a guy. Play action fake to a back to throw. Looking over the middle, wide open. Tyreek Hill, the 20, the 10, the 5, touchdown, Miami. Tyreek Hill, wide open. How does that happen in an NFL game in terms of a player, not just a busted coverage, but seemingly not being accounted for at all? There's so much that goes into that. Let me let me take you back to the night before the game. Um Bubble guts happen, yep. right? There's DBs that got to guard Tyreek Hill. You got to realize people lose sleep. They've sat there all week, scared to death of having to guard Tyreek Hill because he's a home run hitter. They know they can't run with him, right? They know the schemes are incredible, so they're already at a disadvantage, and they're just hoping to get out of this game unscathed and not be on Sports Center. Mm. Now, back to the game. Now we have, if you look the play before, it was a very similar formation and even route concept. There was two routes that went out instead of three. Um, but in that concept, they ran a two-man concept where there was man and man on the outside, two deep half safeties. Um, and one of the safeties comes and uh, uh, cuts off the over route, right? So he takes the over route away. The very next play, 
They run two crossers again with Tyreek Hill being the big one over the top. That same safety jumps the wrong crosser. And the corner, where the play before he's in a, a cover two men, I don't know. He's playing definitive zone. The other side is man-to-man. But when you watch when Tyreek Hill catches it, he gets the, the palms up. Like, what are we doing? That tells me there's a bust in the secondary. And typically that happens because people are looking for any excuse, any inkling, any little carrot or crumb to say, I don't have to guard him this play. And so everybody does that on the same play. You get Tyreek Hill wide open in the middle of the field. Even the safety who should have made the play thinks he can make it. And he has the angle. And yet and still, Tyreek Hill hits the corner on him and there's nothing they could do about it. Guys are running the whose man's is this defense against yeah, the Dolphins. Absolutely. It's not working out. They're 3-0. and They're blowing people out. They're as in sync as they've been in a while. One of the things I talk about all the time is how the worst coach position in the league is quarterback, but McDaniel Mm -hmm. and Tua have figured it out with each other. These two guys are as in sync as they've ever been. How is this offense going to be stopped at 3-0 looking as good as they do? It's going to take uh, very, very good players or very good coaching. Uh, And there are a few actual teams in the NFL that could tout both of those things. Um, let alone the numbers that can do just one of them. And that's the other thing that is connected also to the motions is when the receivers and the weapons that Tua is using are at full speed at the snap of the ball, they're getting into their routes quicker. It is a clearer picture for Tua faster. And Tua is getting the ball out of his hand at like record levels, right? And what else does that do? Well, you talk all these things about the offensive line and what they can't. Two has been sacked once, I think, in the last three games, as you heard the soundbite in his post-game presser. I, I would say with what we had installed this week um, with our plays, I mean, our, our, our plays allow me to be able to uh, find the open read uh, quick and and distribute the, the ball. But like that, that's just also a tremendous effort from our guys up front. And the reason for that is because He's getting the ball out of his hands. And things are being very clear pictured for him because these receivers are going in these full speed motions. And he's obviously very decisive and he's a great decision maker. Um, So it's helped keep Tua off the ground and safe when all the questions around Tua are, can he stay healthy? Well, this is how the game plan helps put the player that you have in the best situation possible. Coming up, we're going to look at the rest of the action from around the NFL in week three. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. All right, Hawk, we mentioned earlier that Sunday was wild across the league, and something that struck me as particularly surprising was J.C. Jackson, a cornerback, 80-plus million-dollar man, a healthy scratch before their trip to Minnesota. Telesco and Staley appear to be on the hot seat. What's happening there And kind of how does that happen for a guy that's that paid to not be even on the game day roster? Uh, Butts get puckered up. 
Yates, I mean, that's what happens when things get tight, right? And 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 you go into a game. If you look at the first two uh, game films of JC, obviously one being against Miami and the second one against the Titans, he had a rough go. He he had a rough go in coverage. Um, he's like one of those players who has great hands and he's made a lot of plays. And But when you look at him in those situations where you expect him to step up against really, really good receivers... He's had trouble doing that. Mm-hmm. And so for the this coaching staff, who to your point are on the hot seat, you're losing very, very close games. And, you know, you fired your offensive coordinator a year ago. There's obviously a history of late game mismanagement, which actually continued this week um, against the Vikings. But you go into those games and you say, all right, well, if my butt is on the line, I am going to make sure I ride with the people who I believe have the best chance of saving my job. Contract be damned, um, name value be damned. I don't care what the media says. My job is on the line. I am going to go with whatever I think is the safest. And and that's how you get a corner like J.C. Jackson on the healthy scratch list um, so early in the season. You brought it up, the Chargers, Chargering. It's a thing they tend to do, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. And listen, <laughs> Sunday, Brandon Staley, on fourth and one with less than two minutes left, up by four points on their own 24-yard line. Like, the Vikings ended up bailing them out. They messed up their clock situation. They threw a pick on the Chargers six. Just what's going through your head on a sideline when a coach makes a decision like that? We know Staley likes to gamble. It's a thing he's done for most of his career. It hasn't necessarily worked out, but what did you think of that watching it in real time? I I thought the same thing you're thinking. Probably everybody else. I'm like, why why are you doing this? It, this this is yes it's a gamble it doesn't seem worth it it doesn't seem worth it but then I guess if you're if you're in an 0-2 situation you've kind of uh, you know rode or die with the, with the gamble in this situation if you sit on your hands and they go down and score then you're damned if you do damned if you don't right but this is the issue with your with the history that you have in late game situations this is why you you need to come up with as a head coach your clock management, what you do at the end of the game, your decision making, literally defines your legacy. And now, Staley's in a in a in a situation where again he can't win. Yeah, just no timeouts, and it was less than a yard, and, and just we feel like we had the play to finish with the ball. We were protecting, you know, four points, not three. So that was part of, you know, my thought process. And uh, I believe in our group. You know, we came here to win, and that's what we were trying to do. He can't win literally sometimes, but also in these scenarios, even when you do get the W, we still look back and say, yeah, that was the wrong move because we've seen you do this so, so often that we don't, we don't give you the benefit of the doubt anymore. All right, switching gears here. If you told me that the Dolphins would score 70 with 700 yards and that the Vikings would outcharger the Chargers, and that Taylor Swift would be wearing a Chiefs jersey sitting next to Kelsey's mom. I would have told you that was enough for one day, but there was way more because the Gardner Minshew-led Colts, still missing Jonathan Taylor, by the by, went into Baltimore, and they beat the Ravens in overtime. Kick is on its way. It has the distance. It's up, and it is good! Ball game! Shane Steichen has done a job. How do you feel about how he has gathered the troops so far this year? He's got to motivate it. And that's that's typically the hardest job for an NFL head coach. He's a professional. We've heard every speech, like I like I alluded to earlier. We've we know it all, we've seen it all. Every coach come here, they rah-rah and say the same thing over and over again. 
But I think the young quarterback, um, Richardson, and his ability, that that's that's kind of giving this team a little bit of a spark. And, you know, Gardner Minshew, we know Gardner Minshew also is a spark plug. That That's Absolutely. who he is. That's what he does for teams. And so he, he really is the perfect backup because when you need somebody to come in and get a W, he's going to grind. He's going to get his guys up. He's going to get them playing. He's going to get them believing. And so, you know, I think the Colts so far this early this, this season have been a surprise for that reason. And a lot of that is because, you know, they, they believe. And that's not uh, uncommon for the early tenure of, of coaches, but I think they're backing it up with a lot of play and obviously a, a very, very quality win over a, a, an undefeated Ravens team. On to the next moment of madness from Sunday. We got to go to Arizona where the Cardinals beat the Cowboys. Russ got the pass. Straight drop. Fires middle of the end zone. Picked off. Kaiser White with the interception. And then might do in Dallas. It feels like nobody bothered to tell Jonathan Cannon that his team was supposed to be tanking. What's happening here? <laughs> they played three tough games all year. What did the Cardinals do to stop the vaunted Cowboys on Sunday? Oh, man. They... I think the Cowboys took them for granted, which is unfortunate because they're such a talented football team. And I know we get all, you know, in up in arms about, you know, anointing the Cowboys every season or any glimmer of 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 energy that they show through throughout a year. But they really are a talented football team. They have Micah Parsons, who is arguably the most talented defensive player we've seen in a very long time. They have you know, C.D. Land, they brought in Brandon Cooks, who I thought was an incredible addition to that offense to give him some balance so C.D. can stop seeing double coverage and it opens up that run game for every... So it, it kind of all came together. But then you go up against this Arizona Cardinals team, and this is typically the test of the really good teams. Are you going to take the teams that you're supposed to be serious? Are we going to see the same level of play that we see out of you in primetime games that everybody is talking about? against the teams that's supposed supposed to be walkovers. Yes, Arizona was supposed to be in contention for the first overall pick. We know that. We know you're a more talented team. They came into this game expecting to win without actually having to do the work, and they got punched in the mouth. And that is the NFL. These guys are getting paid, too. Their, their, their paychecks are clearing. I've been on these teams where we've played against teams where we weren't supposed to win. But, hey, we got, we're playing for the name on our back the same way we're playing for the name on the front of our jersey. And the Cowboys, they just... Again, they took this game for granted and they got a loss because of it. How much does the Diggs injury play into that from a morale standpoint in the locker room? You know, I mean, this is the NFL, Yates. Injuries happen. And that's that's not saying like, oh, you know, it's it's no, it, it's a fact. Every team is going to have significant injuries, period. We just talked about a lot of teams that had a lot of them, right? Um they are so talented that they are supposed to be able to overcome that. Yes, it's a blow. Of course, Diggs is an incredible defensive back and a big deal on their defense. But that being said, they still have more than enough firepower to get those wins. So I won't look at that as an excuse. That has nothing to do with the fact that you came in and you laid an egg and you did not play to the level of your team, even without one of your best players. It should have raised your, your level of play around him. Coming up. Tonight's Monday night matchups, they just might be the best games of the week, kiddos. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein 
giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot. Taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is, not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut, or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, Hawk, let's look ahead to tonight's Monday night football doubleheader. We've got the Eagles visiting the Bucks and the Rams at the Bengals. We'll start with Los Angeles against Cincinnati. The biggest storyline here is whether or not Joe Burrow is going to start. That calf injury has been aggravating him. Obviously, he tweaked it last week. It was an issue in training camp. Jake Browning is the backup, a human who most people listening to this will have never heard of because he's thrown exactly one pass and in completion in week one in his career. When you're in a locker room and you lose a guy like Joe and you don't necessarily have somebody everybody knows is a reliable guy, what's the feeling like on a season like that? I think it all depends. I think if you if you are uh, one of these teams with a lot of versatility, even when your guy is 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 good, I mean the the players around will step up and say, okay, hey, we got to fill the void. Um, there's a lot of talented people on the Cincinnati Bengals roster, but I can promise you, Joe is the heart and soul of that team. He's the heart and soul of that franchise, um, that organization at the moment. As someone who used to play in Cincinnati, I have never seen this organization as energized as, as they have been over the last years. And it's all because of Joe. And my, my older brother also played for the Bengals in the late 90s, early 2000s. I played in the mid you know, 2010s. And this is absolutely a blow. I mean, we've seen them. They've struggled this year with Joe just because they haven't really had the opportunity to build that chemistry. So without him in the lineup, you know, I, th- I think it's going to be one of those things where they understand like, hey, we're, we're missing our guy. It's a hard thing to get up for because so much of that team revolves around the the heroics that Joe puts out on the field every Sunday when when he's really getting it up and going. Browning was signed as an undrafted free agent by the Vikes in 2019, has been a practice squad guy with the Vikings and the Bengals for most of that span. What do you do when that situation comes from a playbook standpoint? Do you shrink the playbook? Do you try to go to other things? How do you make sure that you don't get absolutely embarrassed on a Monday night football game? Yeah, this this is like to me where like coaches really define what they are. Um, one of my biggest pet peeves in the league is that we 
you know, crown these coaches who coach Aaron Rodgers for two seasons or were Tom Brady's quarterback coach for three years. Like, these are easy jobs. Like, if I'm LeBron James's dunk coach, I, that does not mean that I know what the hell I'm talking about. I'm going to be like, so it, these are the situations where I want to see what a coach does. What situation, are, how are you going to help your backup quarterback, Browning? You know what his talents are. You know what his limitations are. How is this game plan going to come together? How are you going to protect him? How are you going to give him easy reads and throws? How are you going to, you know, call a game and not call plays for him? Call an entire game to put him in a position to win. But that's what's going to be necessary for this thing to, you know, obviously not reach Joe Burrow levels, but to at least keep the train on the tracks. Obviously, on the Rams side of the ball, this is an interesting game for them. It's a rematch of Super Bowl 56, and their offense has been a little surprising through the first two weeks without Cooper Cup, which leads me to talk about the connection between Matthew Stafford and Puka Nakua. There was all this discussion about how Stafford couldn't connect with his guys in the locker room in the preseason, Mm -hmm. but he's pulled down. Puka, that is, 25 catches in his first two games. How do you think that relationship has developed between quarterback and receiver so far? Uh, honestly, Stafford doesn't have a choice. He, he has to throw to somebody. I mean, we we also looked at the Rams coming into this season as like, you know, when Cooper announced his injury and his hamstring, it was like, well, they might actually get Caleb Williams. Sure. Because this is a team with over 30 rookies on their team, right? Like, this is, this is, this is the fruits of the... Um, the labor of spinning big, getting rid of all your draft picks to go get that Super Bowl, which it was a success, but now it's going to be really tough. So I think for Stafford, he doesn't have a choice but to build rapport with these other players. And when I watch the film, I'm going to be honest with you, is not doing anything super special, you okay. know, but it's, it, he's, it's volume. It's volume. It's okay. He knows where he's going to be and where he should be at the right time, which is a special thing for a young receiver to understand. And no, you typically don't get that kind of feel until you're, deep into your career because there's so many things going on. You're trying to process, okay, this guy's jamming this way. The defense is doing that. Do I do this? You're unsure. Nakua runs his routes. He is sure where to be. And Stafford can trust that he will be there. And that alone, if if a quarterback can trust where you're going to be at, and when things get hot, I know where I can go to and I can depend on, that's how you build a rapport. And that's what's been so special about the two of them is because they're just kind of speaking that language to each other telepathically on the football field of like, hey, I'm in, I'm in trouble. Be here. Naku is there. He gets the ball. He gets vertical. And now he's had a lot of success. Puka, just a great general NFL story, too, about how he got to that roster, if you want to. Absolutely. Step up in your own time, folks. By the way, moving on to the other game in the Monday Night Doubleheader, Eagles-Bucks. Both of these teams are 2-0. and And the Eagles have shown less in their first two games, the passing game as much. A.J. Brown and Hurts... Guys are mixing it up on the sidelines. How much of a must win is this for the Eagles? And listen, Jalen Hurts, the big extension, $255 million. How much does the passing game need to be a thing for people to feel that that is a justified contract? Yeah, I think I'm I'm still giving them the opportunity to continue to find the rhythm. They have a new play caller. And although he's been there as the quarterback coach for the last couple of years, it does take a little bit of time to still get used to how somebody calls plays. The first week, I felt like they didn't take enough shots. They played very conservative. Uh, it was predictable. It was, you know, lacked imagination. The second week, I think they did a little better. They, they pushed the ball down the field. But as you saw, A.J. Brown was not very happy, which that's, that's what you're going to get with big-time diva receivers. Uh, you know, I'm a receiver myself, so I understand. You want to win, but you also want to be and help the team sure. win, right? You want to be one of the focal points within that. I think it's still going to take some time. 
um, for them. But I wouldn't even call this a, a must win. I would call this a should win. They are the better football team between them and the, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who have been playing better than expected. You know, and I think for the expectation to your point about those really big contracts and what we talked about with some of these quarterbacks is, you know, we we expect this this these offensive juggernauts to be offensive juggernauts. If we're paying this much for our quarterback and our offense, which is obviously all revolved around you, there shouldn't be as much of a, a rev up period, I think, as we're seeing, right? No, no reps in the preseason and and all those things are good excuses, but we're paying top dollar and the expectation is that, you know, it's it's uh, a hot and ready offense. Last opponent on the slate, of course, are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Baker Mayfield, after the retirement of Tom Brady, has, I don't want to say resurrected his career. I feel like it's the third <laughs> time I've said this, but this team has looked very good so far. Do you think he's found a home as far as an NFL franchise is concerned for the former Brown? You know, when I watch him play, and I watched a lot of Baker Mayfield Browns games, he is playing at the best version that we saw in Cleveland. Um, and I think a lot of things are working in his favor. You know, I think Mike uh, Evans is having an incredible season. I think he's been one of the most consistent receivers in the league since he's entered, and we probably don't give him enough praise. Can I just say that he might be the most underrated wide receiver of his generation? That's a separate discussion, but go on, please. We are on absolutely the same page. And, and I think that helps Baker a lot because a lot of times he's just throwing the ball up, which is what a lot of quarterbacks do to Mike Evans, and he makes them right, right? Um, but I think beyond that, the thing that Baker has done well is there's a maturity level that you feel. After you bounce around, you've been humbled a little bit, you know, the reality of what professional football, you know, is really like has hit him in the face, I think, a bit. Um, and he just seems like a different player. I think the, he, the locker room has gravitated to him. He's on his fourth stop. Right. And as a former first overall pick, which is not ideal. And I think he's just approached it different. He's just working. He's not doing a lot of talking. He's trying to be consistent. And I think if he can keep that version of himself there, which does dictate what his on field performance looks like and has in his career, then I do think this could be a resurgence for him because it's already paid more dividends than I think anybody, at least in that the national media, thought it would so early in the season. Andrew Hawkins, thank you, brother. Absolutely. Thank you, Yates. I'm Clinton Yates. This has been ESPN Daily. I'll talk to you tomorrow.